Hello and welcome to Where's Shaz, the podcast. I'm Shaz Ahmed and my mission is to empower, educate and inspire you with stories, knowledge and guests in the world of property, finance and business. So let's go. Welcome to the podcast, everyone, once again. So my guest today, I'm actually looking forward to this. He is, I guess, a true personality within property because a lot of property investors are boring as hell. Um, so investor, serial entrepreneur, educator, author, and, you know, seen him at networking events. He's an absolutely smooth cookie. It's Mr. TJ Atkinson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, man. I'm really excited about this. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. No, no, I appreciate you coming on. Like I say, I know we're all busy, but I you know, appreciate you making the time. So, um just get straight into it the first question i ask all of my guests is to share their mission statement so why do you do what you do um so it's a bit complicated but i've, I've been working on trying to narrow it down my desire is to show people many people in my community that it is possible now again i still haven't tightened up what that it is and i think it works well that it's quite vague it just means whatever it is that you want to do whether it's become a property investor whether it's become entrepreneur whether it's to become rich whatever it is it's possible. And I want to kind of put myself out there as this shining beacon, not for an ego kind of reason, but to show people that if this guy can do it, this guy with, you know, that doesn't get haircuts, that just jokes around and clowns around. If he can do it, then you know what? Smarter people can do it. Yeah. So you're trying to show that, you know, whether it's through property or business, you know, the wealth essentially is possible for everyone, no matter where you start off, you can get there eventually. Amazing. And it's it's topical for me right now because I was speaking to Seth Dozier about it on, my, on the podcast before this about kind of people in certain cultures, you know, showing unity and some people in our culture not doing the same. So it's a very interesting topic, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a bit more as well. So talk to me, TJ, about your your origin story. So I know um, I was doing a bit of research and looking at Amazon for your books as well. And I saw the first book that you wrote, I believe 2017 it was published, right? You know, I've written quite a few books, now, so <laughs> not showing off, but yeah, no, I've written quite a few books. I'm not even sure which one it was, but I think um, I started writing what well, I've been writing all my life. Actually, I grew up wanting to become a crime thriller author. I've written a couple <laughs> of crime thriller books, which will never see public light. But um, self-development is something I'm big and massive into. And I've been reading self-development books for years. And I decided, you know what, it's about time that I write something and put my kind of thoughts on paper so I think the book you might be referring to is Communicative Magic or Untangling Success, which are some of my best books out there. Okay. And I believe, again, before property, were you in recruitment? Yes. Yeah. So um, again, I say this, um, I started off in recruitment. Sad story, but it's part of my journey. I started in recruitment just after uni. I, I studied HR at uni and for, I don't know what happened for four years of my life. I assumed HR was recruitment, even though I got a whole degree, which means I didn't listen at all in uni. And then we finished uni and I started applying for HR jobs. And I realized that HR is office based and yeah. it doesn't suit my personality sitting in an office. Kind of the hiring and firing stuff got me a little bit excited, but I got my first job in recruitment for about two weeks. Then they sacked me. Oh. But by, I learned the system. I thought, hold on one second. I can do this. This guy's a young guy as well. So myself and my business partner started off a recruitment company and it was doing incredibly well. We decided to move to Germany because I fell in love with every single woman in Germany. So I persuaded them. I said, hey, bro, listen, do me a favor. Let's move to Germany. I pretended that 
because we were recruiting a lot of um, people from, let's say, Germany, France, and bringing them into um, companies and finance companies in, in London. So I said, let's go there. We could get them right when they finish university. Either way, he believed my story, but it's literally because I fell in love. And um, we took the business in a short period of time. Well, I say short period, around 18 months. We pulled in over a million euros, obviously. Wow. It didn't go as smooth as we wanted. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't speak the language. You probably noticed yourself in the UK, a personality is someone that can walk into a room, maybe have a conversation about football and someone might do business with you. In Germany, it's totally different. I took the same. Yeah, I walked into some of the CEO meetings. Hey, how are you? My name's TJ. Showing all this bravado. (laughs) and Yeah, that doesn't work here, mate. But um, in a short period of time, we generated over a million euros. We had about 22, 23 staff. But long story short, what you don't know will always be what haunts you. And this is why I'm the biggest advocate for reading, studying, getting mentors, learning from other people, because a lack of knowledge caused that same business, my pride and joy to fail. And that's essentially how I fell into property. Every single thing that's ever worked for me, I fell into. So I'm the biggest believer in taking action, fall, trip up, get yourself back up and go again. That's where the lesson is. Most people think, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to be rich. But in reality, how you become rich is the process. It's what you learn. Yeah. Nothing goes perfect the first time. It's yeah. the middle learning and you can apply it again and again and again. And eventually things work out for you. So that's that's my story, actually. Love that. So it's, it's never it's never a straight line. There's always dips and, and highs and lows again. The weird thing is, you know, hearing these stories, sometimes I feel like I've, I've been really privileged. Like I've been through when I was in a corporate job, like I've been made redundant twice, uh, I've been sacked once, and I've got my own business. But to me, it's all the means to an end. You know, the end is is where we are in happy days. But yeah, it, it, very interesting that. Now, say you fell into property, so did you have the usual route of, say, rent-to-rental sourcing and then you know, doing uh, development and so on? No, so I literally, when I say I fell into it, when my recruitment business failed, I moved back into my mum's house. And um, I, I tell the story all the time, coming from a Nigerian household, some of our parents, many, aka all of them, <laughs> all of them. not the most empathetic parents <laughs> that they should be. My mom walked into my room, which happened to be her garage, because that was my new room, because she had gave, given my room to some random auntie who moved in. And um, she walked in one day, I'm lying down on the sofa, watching TV or crying or whatever. And I thought she was going to come in and hug me and say, hey, stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. And she literally just burst in, did knock on the door, which you should do. And um, she essentially threatened me in a loving way that she knew, which was, listen, what the heck are you doing, mate? Like, get up and sort yourself out. But again, she said something which was pivotal. And I hold on to that in every single thing I do, which leads back to what we just spoke about, about your success happens in the middle. She said, you have done it before, go and do it again. And I say this all the time and I believe it before. And this is what I call kind of like, um, it's, it's muscle memory. It's you make a mistake, you learn from the mistake and you build up on that mistake and build up and build up and build up. And Tony Robbins says the same thing. It says success leaves clues. So if you break down what he's talking about, in essence, is go and find a level of success very quickly and be able to replicate it over and over and over again. Again, your success is right in the middle. Success doesn't happen today. doesn't happen in the future. It happens from the lessons right in the middle. So she's threatened me in a loving way. TJ, if you don't go and get a job, I'm throwing you out. So I started yeah. hanging around with my cousin, a guy called Emmanuel, and he was hanging around with some Asian boys and their dad was filthy rich. I didn't know what he did. I just knew that this guy <laughs> was rich. They had like a, 
like it wasn't a swimming pool, but it had like a pool or a pond in their front garden and they had a Range Rover, the son had a Bentley. I was like, what the heck is this? Long story short, the dad pulled me aside one day and he said, TJ, I've heard your story and you've made some money, you've lost some money. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how to manage property? And I just read the quote by Richard Branson. If someone offers you an opportunity and you don't know what they had to do or, or say, say yes and figure it out. So before he could finish his sentence, I said, yes, yes, yes. I know how to manage property. <laughs> his reason was this. He's, he had heard his son or understood his son was having conversations with his friends that when the dad passes away, the son would inherit the dad's six million. So the son had allocated the dad's money already. He said, when dad dies, I get two million. My brother gets two million. <laughs> Mom gets one million and the sister gets one million, which again, that's interesting. Talk about equality. But the dad said, I want to teach my son a lesson. And he kind of used me as the guinea pig to teach his son a lesson. He gave me an envelope with about 18 keys in there and said, there you go. So I jumped on several buses to get back home. And I was Googling because I told this man I could manage properties. So he said, I typed on Google how to become an estate agent. And that's when I came across Airbnb. And that's where my journey officially started. So my story is a little bit different to new people coming in. I was given the opportunity. I don't hide it. not going to pretend, you know, I had to work as hard as some of the new people coming in. I was given the opportunity that let me learn without with minimal risk. But I've taken it from there and grown it significantly. And what did your mum think when, when he told her you've got all these properties now you're managing? Oh, she doesn't care. Even up until today. <laughs> Even up until today. So my mom's my biggest supporter. I run every single business decision past my mom, not because she's the sharpest person and she has all the answers, but because she's not scared of me. Mm -hmm. So she can tell me if I'm getting too excited or if, if it sounds rubbish. I say, mom, you don't need to think about it. This is what I want to do. I'm leaving property soon or I'm doing this. And she'd just be like, grow up. And that's the answer I need sometimes just to kind of bring you back. But my dad's an interesting story. My dad's a doctor. So no matter what level of success, how many properties I own, whatever I do every single month, like, okay, cool. So you just bought this property. Well done. So when are you going to do a master's? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same fight I have. And I think I'll have that fight all my life because for them, academia is the most important thing. That's what gave them the freedom. That's what yes. allowed them to move to this country. Again, I think it, it's such an important part of who they are. I think things are changing a little bit, but it, you've got to be cautious with that sort of information that you put out with regards to go to school or not go to school. And I'm yeah. very much in the middle. I think um, I agree. And I think like our generation or even the next generation, our kids and their kids, you know, will be kind of a bit more open to entrepreneurship as opposed to university, get this job, solicitors, accountants, you know, that kind of stuff. One thing I just want to highlight what you said earlier as well about you've been successful before, you can do it again. I think a lot of people, especially in property as well, they get really blinkered. They they do well in property world, but they don't realize they've got these transferable skills. You know, they could they could set up a recruitment business because recruitment is sales. They could set up another yeah. business because they don't realize they've got all these skills they've learned. Um, and actually, they they it's similar when you're in a job at a certain level, depending on what job you do, that you get paid to do customer service, get paid to do sales. So there's all these skills. I think if you're in a job, it's not the end of the world. You know, take that time to learn and, and actually harness those skills. And, and work on your CV. It's how you actually portray what you've learned, I guess, isn't it? So it's interesting you say that because you are 100% correct. A lot of mentors or a lot of people online kind of disparage the whole nine to five. And I think it's the stupidest thing. If And if you're listening to this and you want to get into property and you have a nine to five job, number one, cherish it. Yep. Use it as kind of the foundation for everything. I, I came across this quote some time ago and I've battled whether I believe it or not. And I'm starting to believe it. How you do, I think, 
anything is how you do everything, essentially, or how, however it comes across. The point is, are you diligent in your workplace? Everyone thinks, well, I've just started and got my first rent-to-rent property. I'm going to become a billionaire. No, that's not the case. But then I'm going to quit my job after your first deal. Well, no. How about your job is your security that then allows you to take greater risk? So I'm the biggest fan that if you have a nine to five, you can juggle both initially. And also, if you want to start getting into development, people don't talk about this. Having a salary actually helps in many cases to be presentable to to a lender or to to get a mortgage. So I, I understand the allure because most people think starting a business and you look at some of us who've been in property for quite some time and you say, oh, my God, look. They're on holiday every week or they're on a beach. <laughs> but that's not the reality. And you've yeah. got to go through your ups and your downs to at least get one level, one little bit of success. It doesn't happen overnight. But one thing that's important is be prepared for mistakes. I run. I intentionally run to try and make as many mistakes as possible so I can learn. Like, for example, I mentioned I'm buying a plot of land. There are going to be tons and tons of mistakes. And I'm trying to learn what those mistakes are so I can factor them in. So I don't cripple myself. But yeah, mistakes, I'm the biggest fan. I, I love feedback. I love making mistakes. I love asking questions. I think those are probably some of the foundational tools for any level of success. Yeah. Take yourself down a peg, remove the ego. That's it. Act as if you don't know anything and let people give you all the information. Biggest trick, biggest tip for success. Be like be like a sponge, absorb everything. Um, and you know, in terms of making mistakes, you know, one of the benefits. I've got, and I guess you might have as well, of being an ethnic minority is that we can afford to mis- make mistakes, not financially, but because our parents will always take us back. You know, anything goes wrong, always move back, my mum. You are so correct. Listen, do you know how many times? Well, I did have a conversation <laughs> with my parents some time ago, and my mum said, no, if, if if they had their house still here, because my parents moved to Nigeria, my mum said, I would never live with you again. Supposedly, I'm really <laughs> messy, which is, which is silly. But the truth is this, something I've always believed is, having amazing parents really does help and set you up for a little bit of success in terms of if poo hits the fan, I can say, mom, look, I need to start again. Can I come into your house? And as long as I'm willing to wash the dishes and sweep the floor, (laughs) then always got a place at home. So yeah, I agree. Perfect. Now, TJ, you know, every every podcast has like a clickbait kind of thing. So I guess this is your chance. So I heard you on Instagram say last week or the week before, single lets are dead. Single let strategy is dead. Can you please elaborate on that? Um, cool. So again, I've got a caveat that because again, I know I speak to so many people and they say, teacher, you said this. And I'm like, no, I just have a <laughs> Don't quote me. Don't quote me. <laughs> but realistically, I've got a caveat it by saying, I believe if you're under 40, buy to let shouldn't be the strategy for you for a couple of reasons. We go with the assumption that anyone getting into property under 40 is because you've heard about it somewhere. You assume you can make a lot of money from it. Your intention is money at this stage. You're trying to build money. You're trying to accrue money. And for me, under 40, putting £25,000 down to get a £100,000 property, amazing leverage. It's incredible. However, to get £200,000 back per month, I think you could find a better way to use that money. What I suggest or what I could recommend is looking at taking that same money and doing a flip instead because it gives you more cash. I'm the biggest believer as I start to get older and I look back at all the sacrifices I've made in terms of I haven't lived, I haven't enjoyed, I haven't bought the Rolls Royces, which I'm considering. Um, But the point I'm trying to make is live your life. You're young, live your life, enjoy life, make one or two smart investments, protect your future, but also live your life. But make sure you are making investments. But the whole whole idea of saving up, because it's going to take you a long time to save up 25K. 
save up that money, put it into one property, and then wait till you're 50 and 60 to recoup that initial money. My opinion is not exciting. Of course, if you're 50 and 60, it makes sense. You've got responsibilities. Your perspective is different. You've probably lived life. You've gone on a million holidays. You've, you've spent your money. You've spent a couple of dollar, dollar bills in certain places. And, um, you know, you're now at that place in life where you need a bit more calmness and a bit more certainty. And it's understandable. Yeah, I think, you know, on, on a single let, for example, putting £25,000 down to make 250, 300 quid a month after all the costs go out isn't exciting because it's, it's not life changing. How many 25,000 do you need to make it worthwhile? Whereas like you said, if you do something else like a flip or even a rent to SA or rent to HMO, which are more creative, yes, you don't own the asset, but that's not the biggest thing these days. It's cash flows and the cash flow is getting, especially right now in 2022, which is what we're in. So yeah. I argue, I argue with people a lot on that. Sorry. I argue with people a lot on it because there's this, there's this hierarchy of, important in the property space if you're doing rent yeah. to rent you're at the bottom of the pile if you're a deal source you're at the bottom bottom of the pile if you own single lets you're higher than the rent to renter and if you do development the truth is this we're all here to make money and if we want to be controversial most rent to renters that i know make significantly more money than developers and buy to lets so if we're going to be frank and honest and say why are we in this business it is to make money yes you don't own the property but who cares if you're only able to liquidate or gain access to your money in 20, 30, 40 years? Trust me, I pick cash flow today over 30, 40, 50 years. So, rent to rent, in my opinion, we take that same 25,000 pound, you get two rent to rents, 500 pound profit per month, you're at 1,000 pound per month, and you've still got 20,000 pound to live your life and go on a fancy holiday and get as many Gucci belts as you want to. I choose that life all day. All day. Amazing. And so what kind of strategies do you yourself uh, invest in? So rent to rent uh, service accommodation. Um, I do deal packaging once in a while. But right now, I know it sounds a bit hypocritical. I am buying. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good setup right there. Like, oh, TJ, you're talking a big game there. But yeah, but um, I'm, I'm starting to realize also because I got carried away in terms of I've got a great income. So I've got a good income. And I say this all the time. The foundation of wealth is income. That's it. It's it's not arguable. The foundations of wealth is income because income is your day-to-day -day money. Yeah. Income is what gives you peace of mind. Income is what allows you to take risk. A lot of people say, well, I don't have any money, but I'm going to do a big development. Well, do you know how long a big development takes? It's going to take you 12 months. What are you going to feed your family with? How do you explain to your wife or your husband that you're not going to be able to eat anything apart from baked beans for the next 12 months? You're not going to get the support system. So I say this all the time, deal with the income first then you can start to be creative and talk about wealth. So income for me sorted out. Of course, I'm still doing things to accrue more income, but income is the foundation. Now you can start looking at opportunities to invest your money for short-term, medium-term and long-term. So I'm doing um, buy, refurbish, refinance, holding some of them and flipping some of them. But as I said, I do commercial conversion. I've got a commercial property, which I should never have bought. And I, and I, I try my best to talk online about some of the negative stuff. I bought a commercial property, a listed commercial property. Took me three years to gain planning permission. Now that I've got planning permission, I've had to hire a new architect who's charging me 20000 because he's a heritage architect and it's a nightmare. But the truth is people see development and they're like, oh my God, look at the end result, but you don't know what they had to go through. So cut your teeth by practicing. I think rent to rent or service accommodation is the best strategy for practice. What other, what other business is there? 
What other businesses there out there that you get to practice on somebody else's asset first? And if it works for you, you scale up. If it doesn't work, you hand it back and go and do something else. That's the reason why. But if you're doing a development, you don't get to practice. You're putting your money, you're taking the risk, you're putting someone else's money and you might end up crying. Whereas rent to rent, you're practicing, you're learning the legislations, you're learning about your attitude to tenants, to you're understanding the legislations, the regulations, practice hour. It seems seems like a win-win, doesn't it? You know, seems like, yeah, you're getting all that experience. With rent to rent, it's good that you mentioned it yourself. But, you know, it, it does seem, contrary to what other people say, it's very hands-on. You know, you are actively managing the property. And then when you add on SA, service combination to the back end, that involves a level of hospitality. Is that for everyone? Then? Could everyone actually have the mindset to do that? So when I first started, um, after, so remember, I was given 18 properties to start with. Eventually, the relationship broke down. So I had to go off and start myself, which is where my motto comes from. You've done it before. Go and do it again. Success leaves clues. Um, I was doing everything myself. I'm doing a cleaning. I've still got a bad back now. I bought two camping rucksacks on eBay, stuffed it with towels, running yep. from Maybelle to, to Old Kent Road to Elephant and Castle to Peckham Rye. And I was doing customer service, checking in the guests, checking out the guests, cleaning the property. And I realized over time that the cleaning part is fine, but the customer service was not for me. And that was the time when I realized I had to scale up. I had to hire. I had to outsource because I was just busy cussing out my, my customers. Oh, hi, TJ. We're going to be 10 minutes late. I'm like, yo, if you're not here in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I found myself doing that all the time because, of course, I have to be here to clean, check someone in. And I've got to in 10 minutes, I've got to leave. So you're not going to make somebody else late because you want to run late. And I realized it's not my skill set. But I do believe there are so many ways in order to run service accommodation without being involved in the business. I'm a big believer in being in your business initially to learn so that you know what you are outsourcing. Everyone wants to outsource and automate from the beginning, which is silly because what are you outsourcing and what are you automating? If you don't know the systems in your business, then you're yep. just going to get ripped off. But um, yeah, I think everyone can do service accommodation. You can get a management company, you can get lock boxes, you can get electronic locks, you hire a cleaner. So there are many components but you can whittle them down and kind of make the whole thing significantly easier. Most of my clients, in fact, work full-time jobs. Wow. So it's, most of them do. And just to go full circle on the conversation we're having, that you know, even after outsourcing lockboxes, management companies, with an SA, you can still make a good 700 to 1,000 pounds to 1,500 quid a month, even after outsourcing everything. And a single let is never going to get you that. A single let will never, never in its life do that for you. And remember the cost of entry. So it, it, just for the listeners that might not know, let, let me give some rough figures. So if you're looking at operating, let's use Birmingham, one of my favorite areas for service accommodation, you could get a one bed flat in the town center for £950. So if you're smart, you can negotiate no deposit. And if the property is already furnished, you're effectively able to get started for just £950. But let's remove those parts. Let's imagine you had to pay one month rent, one month deposit. So what? We're at £2,000 entry and you're now generating £700 per month it means you break even on in three months and you're walking in profit for the next three to five years. But if you had the person that you're renting that same property from, they've got to pay their ground rent. They've got to pay their service charge. They've got to pay their mortgage. They've got costs associated with that. So the landlord is probably making two, three hundred pound and you're walking away with seven, eight hundred pound with a reduced amount of liability. That That for me is I talk about that a lot. And I think that's what's helped me a lot with regards to gaining clients, because I speak about all the negative. Most people are like, oh, you're so negative. Always talking about the bad stuff. It's best to know what the heck you're getting yourself into 
so yeah. you can build systems around it to protect you and um, reduce liability is the most important thing for me and that's what you want when you're brand new you don't want to assume or accrue all this liability you want the ability to walk away if things don't go according to plan because the stats and the data is there. What is it? 60% of businesses fail in their first year, another 30% in the third year. So what makes you feel that you're the one that's going to make it? And I think there needs to be a certain level of being optimistic because as entrepreneurs, we're eternally optimistic, but experienced entrepreneurs also take into, into account the reality of life. So stuff happens. Okay, TJ. So look, you know, when you're explaining the rent-to-rent strategy and special sales competition, you you make it sound so, I wouldn't say easy, but so doable with the right processes. And I suppose you speak to a lot of people, potential clients, and and you know, people want to get into property. If it's this doable and this practical, why aren't why isn't everyone doing it? What stops people getting involved? Um, so l- let me just rewind that a little bit. I actually believe this in all my soul, whether you're a broker, whether you're a buy-to-let investor, whether you're a developer, I think every single person should have a rent-to-rent service accommodation in their portfolio. Because number one, we're talking about multiple streams of income, but we're also talking about the ability to let somebody else manage it for you. There are management companies left, right, and center that will, you get the property, they manage it, they do everything, and you get paid every single month, and they charge you 15 and 20%. It's it, it effectively is a no-brainer, but why do some people not do it? Because a lot of people complain and say, well, you don't own the asset. And you see this a lot in the Facebook groups. And it's often the old school property investors that have been investing for 2 million years, and yet they're only making one pound a year, but they still want to disparage or talk bad about these young kids who are at least building up their appetite. Because it's these young kids that are building up their appetite that are going to become the next set of developers. So I think people people are scared of what they don't understand. Most people's common issue is you don't own the asset. The the truth is this. It's called leveraging. And as property investors, we talk about leveraging all the time, even the old school ones that are complaining. But yet, if someone's leveraging someone's asset to make them money, then why is that a problem? I think a lot of it is fear. And a lot of people can't take the rejection of speaking to agents, landlords and developers, getting the deals done. And they don't want to mask it as, oh, it's a bad strategy. Why is it a bad strategy? It's not. The landlord's on board, you're on board, the landlord knows what you're doing, you're making money, the landlord's happy. Why is that a bad strategy? Nothing wrong with it. People are scared, that's all it is. So, and what I would say, you know, in terms of owning the asset, I think a lot of the buy-to-let investors need to realise that they really only own uh, 25% of the buy-to-let property, you know, so yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and for, for any of my, you know, Muslim friends who are listening, you know, that what I would say rent-to-rent, SA or HMO or whatever, it's actually fully halal, as it were, because there's no interest involved. It's purely you're, you're getting paid. So if that's some, if that's people, what people are interested in, it's actually a good way of getting involved in property without having the interest element, which I know a lot of people are not fans of. So brother TJ, as I want to call you from now on, you're doing, doing a good job. Brother TJ, um, yes. <laughs> you know can I can I ask you a question quickly then? Yeah, I'd yeah. love to understand this a little bit better with regards to. Um, I've seen a couple of Sharia compliant mortgages and loans can you explain so i understand maybe a few more people understand certain people can't take get a mortgage because it's yeah so in in the islam uh, in the muslim religion um kind of getting involved with interest they call it riba is forbidden you know you're not allowed to profit or give someone interest um so what 
they do because look in especially in this country get a house buying it cash outright it's not really practical so what people tend to do then instead is um there are sharia compliant lenders there's a few lenders gatehouse alrayan and a few others where they instead of giving you a mortgage that charges interest they buy the house and rent it back to you so you're not paying interest you're paying rent however up until that point it's fine now this is where the next steps get a little bit mm, for me is that I just want to be as, as as nice as possible. So the the rate they're charging you of rent is not linked to any rental rates. It's actually quite similar to interest rates. Oh. So for example, Gatehouse Bank, you know, their rate of rent is like I think six percent or six and a half percent, which is comparable to an interest rate. Mm-hmm. So to me, to me in 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 my religion, you know, you can find a sheikh to authorize anything. You just got to find someone to say, yeah, I, I think this is permissible. You put their name down, they've approved it, and and you crack on. So. That is, uh, in short, the uh, yeah, yeah, how it all works. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And like I say, as long as I think, as long as you're satisfied uh, from your religion that you're doing nothing wrong and it's it's within your boundaries, then you know that, that's that's the end of it, I suppose. Right. Next thing I was going to ask you was about you know people getting into property because you host a lot of these workshops and then you know, the day events and so on. Um, what was the reason behind that? Why do you want to help? So again mainly my community of course I work with every single person but it's mainly just to shine a light on what's possible Uh, a lot of times for most people actually across the board it's representation Mm -hmm. there's this there's this understanding albeit false that um, black people can't ascend to certain levels because the system holds them back and there are systems and there are institutional systems that also hold us back but there are some of us that managed to break free and there are some of us that have managed to kind of climb above and, and, and do okay. So I want to show people that it is possible. Becoming a property investor is possible. Owning multiple properties is possible. Buying multiple properties every single year is possible. And that's why I started to host this workshop. And it all came from my mum actually telling all her friends about me, um, not even in a proud way in terms of, ah, what's TJ up to now? Ah, you know, he's doing property which you know, <laughs> and everyone says yeah i know she's gonna cuss me out when she hears this but the point is everyone then says oh okay how is he buying this how is he buying this and eventually my mom pulled me together with some of her church friends and my first ever presentation was to about 40 church ladies and it was amazing then they were asking me questions i felt like i was superman or someone famous and then ever since then i realized that there's a gap for it and most of my audience happens to be in a black community but I'm so happy to kind of open people's eyes to say, do you know what? Everything is actually possible if you know how to do it. That's often what holds people back. It's just the how to do it. And as a scripture in the Bible says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And if you translate that effectively, it's my people perish because they didn't know how. And effectively, my job, therefore, is to teach you how to do it so that you prosper. So that's that's my philosophy. Do you find then, again, especially if you get a lot of people within your own community, that people are sceptical or not once you show them what you've achieved and how achievable people are receptive? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been called privileged. I don't know why. I don't know how that (laughs) works. Because I mentioned that my dad's a doctor. And I think everyone wants to feel like they've been the victim of life. But my dad being a doctor has no bearing on me at all. My dad doesn't support, even though he lives in one of the houses that I've purchased. He's still my dad and he doesn't care. My dad will cuss me out today if he needs to do it. Um, I think a lot of people are sceptical because they haven't done the money work. When I, what I call the money work is they haven't worked on the mindset. One of my favorite books, in fact, I've got it right here, is this. 
This is, you probably can't see it. It's called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shard Helmstetter. I buy at least a hundred of these books. I buy more of these books than my own books and give these out every single year because this book changed everything for me. It's um, a change in your perspective. Our conversation that we have with ourselves on a daily basis will govern how we behave. So if you come from a place where your mom was saying money doesn't grow on trees or you can't have this or people like us can't do this, it becomes a part of who you are. So when someone's showing you that, hey, I broke free, I'm now, I hate this word, successful or doing okay, their brain still can't comprehend it. Therefore, it looks like a scam. Therefore, it looks like something that's impossible. But it takes hearing the same thing and seeing the evidence and seeing representation, seeing five, 10, 15 black people saying, hey, look, I'm doing okay. My name is, let's say, Muiz. My name is Napa. My name is Kaz. My name is Stephanie. My name, we're all doing it. It wasn't luck. It wasn't privilege. We learned the system. We applied the system and it's working for us. So I think it's 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 really nice to see other black people kind of stepping forth as well and us showing others that it's possible. Yeah. And what I love and I'm glad you said it is that there is a definitely a lot of um, unity within the community as well. So everyone is they're not stepping up as individuals, although they're doing their own thing. They're all together, picking each other up, sharing each other's posts, you know, because like you say, maybe. If you know if being rich or successful is is a new thing and you want to show people it's achievable, then why not show as a group? Look, we've all done it. Clearly, there is a way possible. The next thing I just want to cover um, and kind of share some golden nuggets. Really, is about networking. Now, it's interesting because when I first started in in specialist finance and going to these events, you know, I'm I'm not the same person anymore. So, kind of my thoughts on it have changed. My approach to networking is a bit different. Um, Say, you know, I'm 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 21, um, I'm looking to get into property, going to my first networking event. It's not one of these high-end Savoys or anything, you know, it's one, maybe a, a monthly pin event, for example. What should I be doing? How should I be getting the most out of the event? Yeah, it's a tricky one for me because I'm not a big networker at all. Yeah. Um, I, I, in the day of Zoom, I think you can do 99% of stuff without leaving your house firstly, and I think it's a lot more effective. However, I think there's a lot more to just, going to networking events, number one, you're building your confidence, you're breaking out of your comfort zone, you're forcing yourself to speak to people because you're already out of your house. I think have a plan in place. As we both know, plans are always going to fall to bits, but have a plan in place, at least have an agenda. Um, the one thing, the reason why I don't like networking events is because I'm not the biggest fan of small talk. It hurts my soul just personally. Many right. people don't. Yeah, yeah, it literally hurts me. I'm like, can we end this conversation now? But if there's if there's an agenda, if there's purpose, if there's something that we can talk about, then I'm fine. But hey, how was your day? How's the weather? Oh, it's raining outside. Like, I'd rather just stand by myself. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care at all. Yeah. So I think if you're young, you're young, you're spirited. People have a natural affinity to want to help younger people. So I think go there, show an element of passion, but show them what you've been doing. And this, so I had someone actually recently on, on the topic of networking, they sent me a DM, sent me an email actually through Instagram saying, hi, I'm 17, I'm 10 and 18 soon. I want to work for you for free. And, and I thought about it and I said, it sounds great because you've probably heard someone talk about that online in terms of contact somebody and ask to work for someone for free, but that's not value. Find what I need and propose that to me working for me for free is actually work for me i have to now work so yeah. if you're saying you value me you're also asking me to work for free that doesn't benefit me 
So I, I sent him a message and I, I don't know if some people, I'll, I'll post it up sometime. Some people might say it was rude. Oh no, I thought I'm giving him life advice here. Number one, don't lead with your age. It doesn't do anything for anyone. Yeah, don't, you're not going to get any sympathy because of your age. But more importantly, come to me and say, TJ, I've gone on your social media. I've seen that your content is crap. I can help you do this. Or TJ, I noticed you're, you've got an advert up and you're looking for an admin. I can, don't ask me to work for free. It's the same thing as a networking event. Don't go there with the intention of picking someone's brain. It's offer value. I talk about this all the time. Give somebody something and they will be more inclined to give something back to you. So I've studied this word reciprocity, literally studied it, broken it down to understand the power of giving. This is why I create content. You and I had a conversation and one or two other brokers had a conversation some time ago about someone that was teaching us or talking about how to sell in 2022. I don't know if you recall. And I think they just not learned how to get clients in 2022. Yeah. Get clients in 2022 is to give immense value. It's effectively a taster of if yeah. I decide to work with you, look how much I'm getting from this person. Imagine what I'll get when I pay this person. So with networking events, it's a bit touchy for me because I'm not too sure because I've just never been a fan. Um, most people don't believe it. I'm very introverted as much as I come across as a nutter online. I just don't like crowded spaces, which is why I drink. Um, I just don't like crowded spaces. <laughs> I don't know if I can really answer that for a young person. No, no, that's okay. What's interesting, some of the stuff you're saying, actually, I think we're quite similar. So in big groups, I tend to just be quiet. I'll let everyone else speak because I don't want to be the center of attention. Networking events, you know, when I was first going, I'd be the guy to pretend I was on my phone. I'd be really busy just because I couldn't, I didn't want to start a random conversation with a random person. Like you say, the small talk, oh, what brings you here today? Well, the same thing you're here. But please, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, obviously, I've grown in confidence and now I, I go for different reasons. But yeah, it's it's a difficult one. Um, and I always say I'm going to be more selective at the events I go to, but it never happens. I end up going to every bloody event anyway. <laughs> so... Someone's told me that you've been on TV recently. How did that happen? Yes, I've been on TV <laughs> um, since you asked. You know, I, I, I never talk about my fame. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I've been on TV a couple of times now. So Homes Under the Hammer I've done, um, which I think everyone's done. But um, the BBC contacted me through Instagram and said they're doing a segment on landlords and tenants. But it was mainly because I did something a little bit different when everyone was increasing their prices or increasing their rent. When we started pooing ourselves with regards to interest rates going up, I reduced my rents for my tenants in London. Um, and yeah, it did really well in terms of social media. Loved it. People were saying, oh, my God, you're a hero. People called me a hero. I'm like, no, I'm still <laughs> yeah, I'm not a hero. <laughs> I'm a normal guy. <laughs> I'm a normal guy. Um, and also there was an element of selfish play in there in terms of. Um, things are getting hard for people, naturally. I don't want my tenants to struggle to pay rent. I want them to be comfortable. I can take a hit and I don't know if they can take that hit. So, but yeah, the BBC contacted me and um, yeah, they booked me in for radio. I got bullied on that radio show. I, I wasn't expecting yeah. it at all. I, I got bullied. We went in there all smiling, smiling. And once the pressed on air the guy switched on me. Really? Smiling, smiling. Oh, TJ, cool. I've heard you're doing amazing stuff. Okay, cool. Click. TJ, we're now on air. TJ, why do you think you land? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, lucky that wasn't live TV. But the other one, I absolutely loved it. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Live TV was definitely up there with the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I 
thought I was going to poo on the studio on the studio chair on live TV. It was, but it was an amazing, incredible experience. And um, I've got a few more things in the pipeline that I'm doing with them as well. Uh, and supposedly, I did really, really well. Was there any chance you'd have said no, or was it a case of that there's an opportunity? I, I'm going to say yes. Oh, um, I would never say no. I'm the biggest fan of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone even up until one minute before i was due to go on stage my body i i that's why i said it was the hardest thing because usually with my experience when something's difficult i still just crack on but i never put myself in a position where i can't back out but i'm now in a studio we're now going live my hands are visibly shaking i'm sweating and i haven't had those feelings in quite some time so it was interesting for me to identify that because I said, hold on, what is that feeling of why am I so visibly nervous? Yeah. I could feel my my head was going light. I was asking for water. I was parched. For me, it was interesting, but I would have done it regardless whether I failed or not. But for me, it was I've now done it. It's now easy in terms of, OK, it wasn't actually that bad. This is why I say to people all the time, just try and get over that element of fear. And then your brain says to you, do you know what? It wasn't actually that bad go and do it again. And yeah. this is why, as I said, this book right here, Game Changer. Game Changer. So I'll, I'll put that in the in the show notes. But yeah, I think like you say, I always say people work it backwards. What is the worst that could happen? And then from the back of that, what's the worst that's going to happen? And actually you realise it's not a lot. You know, you, you well, carry with, with what you're doing. The thing is, it, it's easier said than done because it's actually biological. Your mm. brain is factually designed to protect you. So when, when your pupils start to dilate and your hands get sweaty, you get lightheaded, it's actually your brain signaling to you that, you know what, don't do this. We're not ready for this. Don't embarrass us. It's like the brain is like the boss and don't embarrass us out here. What's that film, the Pixar film, Inside Out? Oh, I where you've got, you've got basically got all the emotions. So you've got fear, love, um, whatever. And they're all, it's a, it's a film about the emotions and how they control someone's mind and stuff. It's a good film. Definitely yeah, check it out. I'll check it out. I'll definitely check it out. <laughs> yeah, that's our brain. Awesome. Now, I've put a note to ask you this about kind of the wealth creation, property education kind of sector. I'm sure you've got an opinion. One thing I would say is I've noticed over the last six months or a year that a lot of the big players have quietened down. So where you had your pins and your progressives and stuff, they're still they're still around, but they're not as big or as popular maybe as before. Um, and there are a lot of kind of smaller, shall we say, people coming out and perhaps giving a bit more kind of grassroots education, but what are your thoughts on on that sector of the industry and and has have you noticed what i've been saying that, that you know the, the big guys aren't doing anymore yes because um their entire business model was based on live events um same as me as i said pre lockdown um my entire business model for my events was live events we were doing two or three live events per week we hired out a space. Um, I had a, hired out an office in Surrey Keys and we would fill it out Fridays and sometimes do two events on a Saturday. So maybe three events a week. Um, but lockdown came and many people had to transition online. My personality is more suited for a live event. I generated significantly more sales at a live event. My income for training has significantly dwindled because it's difficult to portray and to feel and to show people what you're trying to show them online but i think that's what a lot of these companies have suffered um but yeah the smaller people are coming through however there, there does need to be a conversation in terms of not every single person can train the truth if, if we look at it from this perspective not every single person can be a teacher i couldn't be a teacher because number one i'll just say what comes out of my mouth number two i might be very direct number three i'm not the most empathetic person so i can't go and be a teacher 
So to assume just because you've done one rent to rent, I'm actually shading one specific person right now because that's just how I am. But to assume, <laughs> but to assume because you've done a little bit of property or you're doing property doesn't automatically qualify you as a teacher. For example, I, I use this as an example. You're a good host. And I'm sure that's also because you've practiced and you've done a lot of this. So when you probably started, you might have been like me, where I'll cut you off at every sentence, trying to get the best <laughs> use this part, but you don't let the person speak. But over time, you've learned what works for you. And I think naturally, most people just assume because you're doing something means you can teach. And that's why we get a lot of people that say, I paid this person money and it was total crap or the way they taught me was total nonsense. I turned down a number of clients because some people are not suited. I say this all the time on every single live or training. Guys, I'm Marmite. Some people like me. Some people don't like me. I'm not willing to change because this is what is authentic for me. And the people that like it gravitate to me. And the people that don't, doesn't work for them. But the training industry does need some regulation. I agree with that. The regulation is not going to come from the people who are trying to create the regulation at the moment. It has to be external. There are bodies in property, also property investors that want to come together and regulate the industry, but it can't come from you. It's got to be third party. Yes. It's got to be governmental and you can't regulate your friend and then deregulate somebody else. It, it, it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. Um, I mean, I would say uh, just on a tangent needs to go a bit wider so the regulation needs people needs to be for wealth creation in general so forex crypto any any kind of seminar where they're saying we're going to make you rich in a week or two weeks yeah. that ref that needs to be regulated you know pre-vet the people come and make sure they're financially capable of actually putting the money down um and the interesting point you said there about kind of skill sets so yeah be, you know you may be a good speaker but maybe not a good trainer you may be a good trainer but maybe not a good People need to be a bit more self-aware around that. And I think, again, just linking things back, that links back to a lot of these property events because you'd have certain speakers who actually were credible. You know, they've done multi-million pound portfolios, but they're not going to speak about it because it's a completely different thing. So you'd go to some events and it'd be dead boring because these guys just didn't know how to engage the audience and, and respond. So, yeah. But you will notice something. Um, this is a conversation I was having with someone earlier on. A lot of people see some of the top performing people and say, oh, this person's making a killing with training. Again, I, I say this and I talk money in terms of there is absolutely nothing wrong with making money as a trainer. I don't know why people shy away from it. And I don't know why people have a problem with it. We're all entrepreneurs, even property investors, even the people that are complaining about trainers. We're all trying to make money. We all preach about multiple streams of income. This is also the ultimate multiple streams of income because you're leveraging experience. I've been through it and I'm charging for that. But the people that do extremely well as trainers, most of us, I put myself in there, come from a sales background. So a lot of these younger people that say, oh, my God, well, I'm going to become a trainer. I, I, I would go as far as to say 80 percent of trainers don't make any money at all, because if you look at the people that do make money, we've all 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 of us. I'm not even going to say most of us. All of us have a sales background. I've come from the recruitment background. If I name any. If we were going to name anyone here that's doing well in property, they've all got a, a level of sales experience. And that's why we do OK. But also to, to acknowledge that we can sell and then go and get more lessons or training on how to teach. That's what allows you to make money in 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 teaching. I'm a biggest fan of it. I talk about it all a lot. People 
want to pretend. Oh, I do it because, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, and I'm not contradicting myself, but I'm making this point. I do it because, I, you know, I want to save the ocean and I do it because, you know, I want to um, empower my entire community. I do it for that reason, but I also do it because it's additional income. I do it because I can make money from doing it also. None of us are rich enough to do all of this for free because our time is the most valuable asset. I could be buying another property. I could be negotiating. I could be looking at other stuff. So I trade my time and I expect to be paid for my time if it's also going to benefit you also. Absolutely, absolutely. And what I will just um, repeat there what you said. I think especially now with cost of living and you know people's earnings and so on, I think the skill of being able to sell is probably one of the most, if not the important skill to have because it leads to so many other things that you could do. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So how, or what do you do with your own workshops then? So when you have these one, are these one day events that you have? So I do, I do a series of them literally tonight, right. seven o'clock. I've got oh. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got one at seven o'clock. And this one is teaching people about service accommodation. We've got 187 people registered. We'll probably get 90 people turning up. Again, I'm unafraid to talk about money. We'll probably sell to about 10% of the people there who want to work with me further. Um, but essentially it's, taking people from a place where they don't know anything about the strategy or they've seen a little bit about it and spending two and a half, three hours on giving them at least the foundation. I mentioned this earlier on in terms of one of the words that I've studied for quite some time, reciprocity. This is how you sell in 2022. You give. So you set the foundation for if this person can give me two hours, three hours, and this is great stuff, imagine what their paid stuff is going to be like and that's one of the, i churn out content and i try my best to help people as much as with the comical element it's still very educational so that i'm sowing that seed and when you decide that hey who's the best person to teach me oh i remember that guy all these free content was super helpful i can imagine what the paid is going to be but i do live events i do online events um yeah i do i, I do pretty do much a lot and i do a lot yeah i do anything i can um, so, so I get I get really into things and really into people. Um, that's just my personality type. So, yeah, what what you said about having your free content and paid content. Uh, there's a chap online, his American guy, Alex Hormozzi. Yes, he, yeah, and and he says he wants to make his free content better than everyone else's paid content. And yeah, I, I think that that's a good way of doing it. And he's correct because his free content is better than everything. Mate, uh, love the guy. He just breaks things down in such a simple way. He makes you think, why didn't I think of this before? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and his book is. I got the audiobook and it's one of the best audiobooks ever about business and, and sales and stuff. Yeah, love it. Social media now, let's just talk through. So I think TJ, you've I've never said this to you, but I think you've got the perfect combination on socials and it's still maybe it's your personality that you're soft spoken, but you're really sassy with it as well. So therefore you can say things, get away with things, maybe someone else couldn't, just because of the way you position it and the way you speak. Is that is that just how you are or um I've been thinking about this actually because <laughs> yeah no I, I, I was thinking about it because I get away with a lot online yeah, yeah, but yeah I think a lot of people also know where my heart is in mm. terms of number one again I say it I sell a product fundamentally all my content is to sell a product but at the same time it's I believe in this so much most of the stuff I put out although it's to benefit other people it also benefits me. I'm not creating content because I think this is what people want. I think social media should be a diary of your life. And like, I might post a random video. I think the one I posted recently about, so silly, getting my wife to pay rent. And your then, rent. And then pass it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it's because I saw something online and I found it funny. And I had a conversation with one of my friends on our WhatsApp group saying, bro, listen, look how mad that is. And it's just whatever goes through my head. I want to put it down because I'm not trying to impress anyone. But I think I am probably one of the most authentic people in the game simply because I couldn't care less. The one thing is I've dealt with people's perception of me. And I think if you want to emulate any level of success in life or copy anyone's level of success in life is deal with people's perception of you first. Because once you stop caring what people think about you and you provide value, enjoy your life. I'm all about freedom first. Freedom first, live your life, have a great life, enjoy life. But imagine making money from doing that as well. That's freedom for me. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, people will resonate with you no matter what, as long as what you're doing is valuable. So I think it's a case of getting out of, out of your own head, you know. Um, do I look okay? Do I sound okay? Do I sound too soft? Do I sound too aggressive? Well, actually, as long as the content, your output is valuable to the end user, then it doesn't really matter. And nothing else matters. But again, it's easier said than done. I understand. The yeah, yeah. And so and so. But one thing that I did, and I've done this over the last, if you look at my previous content from years ago, I would get a haircut every single week, <laughs> literally every single week. Now I yeah. get a haircut every couple of months. I don't shave. I don't do anything. That was all intentional in order to deal with levels of insecurity in terms of, oh, I can't take this video because I don't look great or the angles. And I'm just like, you know what, TJ, just record this video. It's still going to do well. So, and then over time, I've realized that how you look makes no difference. How you sound makes no difference. Just do whatever you've got to do and you'll be all right. And for me, I think that's those little levels of freedom in terms of not caring how people judge you or perceive you takes you to the next level. Absolutely. But what I would say just for people like myself who care too much, you know, uh, is what you can use. There are certain crutches you can use. So if you are doing videos, because I mean, I'm really self-conscious about everything, but what you can do is like make your subtitles really bold and brash, like Alex Omozi, or put some music in, or put some jump cuts. The content is all the content, there's all value, but you can mask your own insecurities by using these little crutches that actually will help. I, I've just learned that along the way. I, I wouldn't even say that they're little crutches. They're enhancements. Does that make sense? And yeah, yeah, yeah they're enhancements. Yeah. Good. <laughs> awesome. Now, TJ, as we're winding up, because I know time is, is very precious, um, you know, what what is kind of the eventual, say, five, ten-year plan for you, your business? What's going to happen? Um, so I say this all the time, and I was going to make an announcement next week. I've been saying for the last six months that I'm leaving the property game. I've been saying that. Oh, now wow. I'm in trouble. Yeah, I'm in trouble because I was saying to people, hey, buy my course, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. <laughs> but, <laughs> over the last week, I've decided um, I'm not leaving. I'm actually okay. not leaving. Um, but I am still leaving. I know it sounds crazy because I was going to leave because I've written a book, which is probably the best book that I've ever written. It took me a year and a half of my life and I couldn't wait. And I wanted to spend one year getting that book in every single person's hands. Um, it's a book on finance and it's helping parents, especially people in my community, grasp finance and investing and so-and-so, something that's so needed. Um, but I've written it and it's due to come out on the 4th of January and I was going to stop talking about property and so-and-so. But again, I've changed my mind and I found something that I'm a lot more passionate about. This is the freedom that I talk about. I talk about creating a level of income that allows you to do what the heck you want to do. I now have the freedom to do whatever I want to do and choose what I want to do. And I want to spend the next six months of my life as opposed to the last one and a half years of planning, I want to spend six months of my life 
starting a brand new business, which is fundamentally focused on helping poor people. Uh, can you say poor people in 2022? Poorer people or people that need assistance. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I want to spend the next six months of my life helping as many people as I, as I possibly can to kind of get back on their feet financially, give away a bunch of money. Sounds absolutely crazy. I want to give people money. I want to pay people's rent. I because again, I talk about this a lot and anyone listening to this, I hope you would hear what I'm saying in between the lines, study, learn about reciprocity. As I said, I've studied this word. I believe it in all my soul. Give. I don't believe there's any such thing as an altruistic act. I think everyone that gives, you gain something from it. I know in certain religions, you're not supposed to give publicly, but the truth is that even if you give quietly, you still gain something from, from it. You gain peace of mind. You gain a blessing. You It floods you with dopamine to see the person's reaction. And I'm chasing the biggest dopamine high over the next six months by just giving money away and changing people's lives. And that's what I want to dedicate the next six months of my life to doing. Um, I've always said, people say, what's my end goal? How much money do you need to make? And I'm like, I don't personally care about money. Sounds weird for someone that teaches about money. I don't care about money so I can buy myself fancy stuff. I care about making as much money as possible so I can genuinely help as many people as possible because I also know the trick in the system means I will also be rewarded because of this universal law of reciprocity, which is in, in, in Christendom or as a Christian, we call it the law of sowing and reaping. Buddhists will call it yin and yang. They'll call it karma, causation, cause and effect. Just literally do everything that you can to give people automatically it comes back and rewards you. And I want to spend six months giving, giving, giving. And I'm so confident I'll make lots and lots of money also from doing it as well. I love that. I, I have no doubt, just with the conviction you've explained that with, um, and I'm big on reciprocity as well. I think people, if you go away and research the word, I think it's different to karma. Karma is, is kind of a different thing to reciprocity, but it's the biggest thing. Once you get that in your head, then, you know, give, give, give without expecting back. It will come back. And it will come back. So reciprocity actually breaks down if you look at it like broken down. I know we don't have a lot of time, but it means creates a moral obligation. That's what the word means. So if you look at it from that point of view, it's if I do something for you naturally, universally, it creates a moral obligation for you to return that favor. So why wouldn't anyone focus on giving? And that's why you don't necessarily have to sell in the sleazy way. You've just got to give because it creates that moral obligation for someone to say, do you know what? Shaz gave me that piece of information. That was just really helpful. Now I need a broker. I'm going to go back to Shaz. So yeah, yeah, one of my favorite things. And I want to, I want to scale reciprocity. Oh, this makes me feel like, although I don't like Gary V, but this makes me feel like Gary V when he first started out in terms of just forget about the money, focus on just doing good and you get yeah. rewarded for it. And I want to, I, I want to scale doing good for six months, 12 months. And then come back into property. And um, but I still will be buying. As I said, I've just put an offer in on a property Friday, put another offer in on something else, and I've got my plot of land. So I'm still buying, but in terms of what I'm teaching, what I'm focusing on, it's me trying to help as many people as possible. Um it's just a little book about reciprocity. If people are listening, um, it's called The Go Giver. Um, someone recommended it to me Ooh. a couple of years ago. Um, and yeah, it's it explains the whole things very, very well. TJ, you're a true gen, um, and this has been a really good conversation, so appreciate your time, and I'm sure we will see you soon. 100%, brother. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. So what did you think of that? Please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts, 
five stars of course and also connect with me on socials at where's shaz until next time be humble be grateful be peaceful <laughs>